What's going on, Military Cashflow family? What's going on with you today, Mike? Man, nothing much, man. Uh, just enjoying my life here in apartment living in Charlotte. You know, just getting to know the neighbors, right? Oh, yeah, you <laughs> you got to break down the story just a little bit. I mean, you don't got to give them everything, but just give them a just little. Just a little bit, just a little bit, guys. This this neighbor apparently keeps hearing things and thinks that I'm the one causing the noise, but I live in the apartment by myself, don't own a TV, don't own a radio. I did the podcast, but that's it. Um, she's came up several times saying noise complaints, noise complaints, noise complaints. And uh, her complaint is that I'm doing something ridiculous, like uh, trying to cast a voodoo spell on her or something. Uh, it's... <laughs> It's ridiculous, man. I, you know, I hope she's okay. I hope whatever she's taking is is you know helping her out. But it's it's ridiculous. So now, you know, we, we every time we record the podcast, I'm a little nervous. Somebody's gonna come knock on the door. Uh, but besides that, man, things are going really well. How about things on your end, man? <laughs> Today is my last day of leave, so I gotta shave the beard oh. off. I don't know if you guys can see it there. You know, I've actually shaved it look down a little bit. It was looking real scraggly, but I kind of taped it up a little bit. You know, I'm looking smooth and stuff. You got to go uh, baby face. Yeah, you look. You got that '90s R and B. You got that jagged edge going on right now. Yeah. You have to take all that off. <laughs> me the but uh, but <laughs> but yeah. Um, so today's my last day of leave. We're gonna um, going back to to work tomorrow, and um, getting back to the you know the military grind and still you know doing the doing military cash flow and everything else we got going on at the same time. So. Um, just really excited, man. I'm really excited. Um, you know, my wife and I did our, we, we took some more time as you see this back, this, uh, board back here, we took some more time to like redefine, really, really redefine our goals. Um, and what we, uh, what we want to do for the future. So we've been making some, some pretty large decisions as far as, um, what we plan to do for the future. So we'll see how everything works out. Really excited. I'm just, we're just really excited to get everything going. So yeah, but today's guest, we got Alex Brashears, and she's going to touch on a very, very awesome topic. We're, you know, typically we're talking to investors, right? We're talking to, we're doing flipping, we're doing wholesaling, we're doing, you know, syndications, but we've not really talked too much about the person on the other side of the table, the person that's actually giving that money, right? Um, so, and that's exactly what Alex is doing. She's she's just uh, kind of crushing it right now. And she's lending out in the v, in the um, Hampton Roads, Virginia area. And she just kind of gives us all the beans, spills the beans on what it's like to actually be a lender. Now, she herself is a military spouse and she's just, uh, she's just killing and she's speaking to everyone else out there. So um, I think this is a great episode. Absolutely, man. She's, uh, we're going to cover a lot. She's going to cover literally how she'll screen somebody, you know, how she kind of looks at a deal, how she went through the whole journey of literally trying wholesaling, trying flipping and all that good stuff to turn around and become a private lender in the end. And most importantly, guys, you know how she found us is that she actually heard an episode with a military spouse on there. Right. And I believe it was Jessica Dean. I, I believe that's what I remember. I don't remember the episode. We'll put the links in below. But first off, thank you, Jessica, for actually reaching out to that audience. And then thank you to today's audience, who, again, is speaking from that position that, you know, it, you know, it's a 50 50 partnership regardless. Right. Or, you know, some people may say it's 90 10. Both of y'all have to give 90 percent, whatever. That's a relationship thing. But we can't sit there and act like the spouses aren't a huge part in the role of achieving financial independence, financial freedom, things of that nature. And she speaks to how she contributes time and time again by establishing this type of business model and how she helps educate many other people to do it all for free, for free guys. So listen to this content, be sure to follow her. And obviously if she was able to find this information, you can too, but you gotta subscribe. 
hit the subscribe, the notification bell, and the like button. And then without further ado, let's get to it. Hey, how's it going? This is Dan Wynn and Mike Glassby. And this is the Military Cash Flow Podcast, where we teach service members how to build wealth and create passive cash flow through real estate. We cover real deals, real numbers, and real lessons learned from other successful investors. Now, whether you're watching this on YouTube or you're listening on the podcast, we need you to like, share, and subscribe. Now, let's get started creating this military cash flow. Hey, what's going on, family? This is Military Cash Flow. I'm Dan Wynn. And Mike Glassby. And today we have a very special guest, um, Alex Brashear. She's going to come on and um, talk her investing journey. She has a, a very interesting journey. Before we get into that, as we were coming on, you know, we do our little intro, right? And um, when new guests come on, or when we invite them into this, uh, the channel, shows a little picture there, right? So um, in this little picture, there was Alex holding about, I don't know, eight or nine medals. Maybe, maybe it was a little less, give or take, right? Um, at Disney, it looks like. So it, they look like marathon uh, medals. And I'm very, very curious. Can you please tell us that story? Because you were saying, hey, this happened over the span of four days. And I was like, pause. We're going to cover this <laughs> over the air. So Because uh, I think that would be, be a very interesting story. So please, um, one, please let us know about that story. And then also segue straight into, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, where you're from, things like that. Absolutely. So I'm one of those crazy people that goes to Disney World to run through the parks before the sun comes up. So four times a year, Walt Disney World in Orlando does what they call run Disney events. Their biggest event is in January, where they have something called the Dopey Challenge. And the Dopey Challenge is you run a 5k, a 10k, a half and a full four days in a row before the park opens, or at least they start before the park opens. And, uh, you complete your dopey challenge and then you get all the medals because you've completed all the all the races and then you've you know gotten the medals for completing the challenges. They also have a goofy challenge and a dopey challenge. So that's why there's six medals. So I did that in January of 2020, trained for two solid years. I was not a runner beforehand and somebody's just like, you should go, you know, try this. And I'm like, yeah, that sounds crazy. But then when they told me only about 50,000 people on in the world have ever completed a dopey challenge, and I'm like, yeah, let's give that a try. That sounds fun. And training started and it turned out to be the hottest dopey on record, uh, hottest marathon on record. So they were literally throwing ice at people in January to, to keep you from passing out during the 26 mile course. But uh, right after that is when, you know, the world kind of shut down for COVID. So that would actually turned out to be our last in-person race we've done since January of 2020. Oh my God. So I can already tell you have the mentality, a, a very unique mentality. You you were like, oh, that's not my cup of tea until they told you only 50,000 people have ever completed it. Then you're like, wait a minute, let's bring that back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think I'm interested. <laughs> like I could be one of those crazies. Let's yeah. sign me up. <laughs> All right. So now understanding your mentality a little bit now, tell us a little bit about your investing journey and how you kind of got to where you are today. Absolutely. I just I think got one, one, one really, really quick question. That's sure. 40 miles, right? You said that's like, that's about 40 miles, right? You said a half 48.6 over four days. And what? then you're doing, you're doing the parks afterwards. So you think you're tired after walking around the parks all day, like with family and kids, 
go do the marathon and then go walk around the parks because those photos were taken after we did the marathon. We went home, you know, went back to our hotel, took a shower and then turned around, went right back out to the park. <laughs> did you at least get free access to the park or something like that? No, unfortunately, it's, Disney, it's Disney, man. You got to pay for tickets to the park too. Oh, All right. I'm sorry. I'm saying, well, I just thought that was really, you know, I just wanted to know. I just wanted to verify. Wait a minute. You ran about 50 miles and then, yes. <laughs> and then went toward the park. But okay, got yes. it. All right. Uh, but uh, getting back to my investing journey, I feel like it started pretty normally and uh, that's both good and bad. So we started, you know, my spouse is an active duty service member. Uh, we bought our first home with our VA loan years and years and years ago. Uh, I've been married for 20 years now. So, you know, back before cell phones were ubiquitous. Uh, we bought a, we bought a little townhouse, which we later turned into a rental and we kind of scaled up as, you know, our lifestyle got bigger and we got moved around. I'm currently sitting in my 19th address in 20 years mm. as a military spouse. So, you know, we got, we're moving pros. Let me tell you, uh, I can put stuff in and out of a box faster than anybody. But during that process, you know, we kind of did what I feel like is the first line of hazing of real estate investing. So when someone tells you, they're investing in real estate. There's only two things that come to mind. You're either going to put farmhouse sinks into ugly houses like they do on HGTV, or you're going to be a buy and hold investor and you're going to be a landlord and you're going to deal with tenants and toilets and trash. Like there's, there's no other option. It's you either take path A or path B. We took post paths at different times and discovered exactly how much we hated it. Like it was terrible. They are wonderful ways to invest, but unless you have the skill set and the goals and the desires for those two methods of investing, it is a fast way to the nut house. Like it was just being a landlord for me was a constant process of expecting adults to act like adults, but then constantly being let down from that expectation. And then flipping wasn't too far off, only instead of tenants, it was contractors. So it was just, nobody ever has the conversation with new investors. Like, yeah, that's great. You want to have 20 doors and you want to retire on your passive income. Um, but does that really suit your personality? Does that suit your goals? You know, are you realistically going to be able to manage 20 doors if you yourself are moving your own door every three, six, nine, 12 months? Um, and we quickly figured out it didn't take long for us to figure out that that was going to be actually the more cumbersome part of it. We thought the tenants and the contractors were our problem. It was actually the constant us moving was the problem. Um, so we sold our rental units, sold the primary residence we lived in. And we were real estate free because honestly, after everything we'd been through, the last thing we were going to do is jump into that pond again. We're like, nope, no, no, no. But during the course before all of this, um, I'd actually been a hard money loan broker for a broker in Jacksonville, Florida. I mean, years ago, before we even bought our first home. And a lot of what I did was, you know, before the internet was a thing, fax machines were still a thing. Um, you were actually going out to these properties that investors wanted loans for, and you were looking at their scope of work and you were kind of assessing an ARV and all those kind of manual things that we can now do with things like desktop appraisal and Google street views. Um, but I was that person going out in the field, talking to the investors, and I was learning the kind of fix and flip game. But at the same time, instead of going home, like the active investors were, I was going back to the office and seeing how the checks were cut, how the deals were analyzed, you know, when did closing happen? What were the requirements for closing? And the one thing I noticed, no matter what happened, it didn't matter if the tiles showed up the wrong color, you hired three contractors in a row and they ran off with their deposits no matter what happened, the mortgage got paid. It didn't matter if the tenants trashed the place, the tenants paid, the tenants didn't pay, 
the mortgage got paid. And after you start seeing this model over and over and over again, you're like, I think I'm on the wrong side of the closing table here. And I was just like, okay. So when we decided to kind of dip our toe back into real estate investing, instead of doing the normal, you know, fix and flip and buy and hold, we're like, we are going to do private lending because we're familiar with both of those business models because we've done them. But also we can be on the other side of the equation and not have to deal with the contractors, the tenants and the toilets and the trash. And also it's a collaborative effort. So when you think about a landlord situation, especially what's going on with COVID right now, it can be very adversarial in tone. You know, it's these rich landlords trying to get one over on the, the working poor that are rented and renting and you know, they need rent cancellation and eviction moratoriums or a godsend. And that's kind of the rhetoric that's out there right now. Whereas when you're working in private lending, you both have the same goal. You're both active investors. Just I'm on one side of the closing table and you're on the other. So you both want the property renovated. You both want the property refinanced. You both want the property sold. So it tends to be a much more collaborative environment, which I personally enjoy in my investing journey. All right, let's take a quick break. I hope you're enjoying this awesome episode. If this episode has got you pumped up and you're looking for more ways to learn, network, and take action, make sure you go over to www.militarycashflow.com where we're doing our absolute best to provide our military community with tons of value. Here's just a few things you'll find when you go to militarycashflow.com. You'll find our books. You'll find the Military Cashflow Facebook group where we have thousands of new and experienced military investors networking and asking and answering questions. You'll find our military cash flow real estate investing course that teaches you everything you need to know to buy a cash flowing producing asset. We teach you how to find the deal, how to analyze, how to renovate, how to build your team and maintain that property. You'll find our one-on-one -on -one coaching programs. And when you're ready to start taking action and invest, or you're looking just to PCS, we'll even vet and find an investor and military-friendly realtor in your area at zero cost to you. So make sure you head over to www.militarycashflow.com to get access to all these great tools. And lastly, and I would almost say most importantly, make sure you share this information with another military member that might find it valuable. All right, and with that said, let's get back into this episode. There's too many times investors think that they have to wholesale, they have to flip, they have to be a landlord. And there is that standard trajectory, if you will, that you start off wholesaling and ultimately once you're a billionaire, then you can do private lending. Right? Absolutely. It's not necessarily the case. You just have to figure out what your personality is, what your investment style is, and identify which one best fits you. And, and I love how you mentioned that you tried a little bit of everything. You dipped your toes in everything, and then you finally settled on the one strategy that has just changed your perspective as far as investing. Absolutely. It got me back into real estate investing because I was part of a team at that point. And, you know, as, a, as an outgoing person, you know, I would much rather have you know, a small piece of a very large pie than try to manhandle everything myself. Yeah, you guys have both hit the nail on the head pretty much, you know, uh, what you're saying there. My question is, um, so you started off, basically, you dip your toe in everything, right? Um, and then you were like, I'm going to lend, I'm going to lend money to other people so they can, you know, finance their actual deals. So the average person would think that, all right, in order to do that, I need to have a massive amount of capital, right? So can you walk us through that? Like, how does that work? And how did you 
get to that point. Obviously, you had some experience in the past before you came over um, to, to doing it yourself, making your own uh, company. But can you walk us through that process? Absolutely. So there's actually a wide variety of ways you can do private lending. So for example, what you mentioned, what most people think of is being in the first lien position. So that means you're a first mortgage. Um, oftentimes you're going to be a purchase money mortgage. So somebody's buying the property, you're bringing the funds to closing to pay off the seller. So title can be transferred to the new, to the new owner. In some markets, um, you can be in the first lien position for an investment property for $30,000. Uh, there's an investor I know really well in West Virginia. He can buy a fully rehabbed property for $50,000 and then throw in a Section 8 tenant for $850 a month. It's a really strong cash flowing market, but it's not an appreciation market. You know, it's it's going to be $50,000 now. Chances are it might be $55,000 in 10 years, but it's a super strong cash flowing market. So if you want to be in that first lien position, you're adamant about being in a first lien position, um, you can search out those markets that are in that lower purchase price, you know, area, you know, between 30,000 and say $75,000. And that gets you a first lien position. So at that point, you know, you could either do monthly payments, you know, monthly interest payments, whatever you kind of negotiate. So from that perspective, it doesn't take as much as I think some people, especially if you're, you know, if you're in the military and you've ever been stationed in San Diego, you know, you can't even get a parking space for $50,000 in California, anywhere in California. So much less a whole three bedroom, two bathroom brick house. So it's, it's kind of funny when you blow people's minds and they're like, wait, what? There's still markets in this country, quite a few where you can do that. The other option is if you want to invest locally, but you aren't in one of those markets, you can do something that's called gap funding which is you're going to be in the second lien position. I don't advocate a beginner necessarily jump into that, but at least I like to give them the information and then people can do their own due diligence. But gap funding would be where you come in behind a first mortgage that's maybe hard money loan. Uh, maybe they're taking the property subject to and they need that money for renovations or maybe holding costs for the first mortgage. And you, know, you could start doing gap funding for I would say maybe $20,000 on up. And again, you can make those terms, obviously, with the upper limits of the usury laws for where the borrower is or where the property is. Um, you can make those terms anything you want as far as interest rates, you know, length of time, uh, how frequently you want the payments, you know, all sorts of things. So it offers a lot of flexibility for both you and the borrower because private lending tends to be more relationship based in nature. You know, I'll get messages on Facebook that it's like, hey, what's your rate? whoa, dude, you know, are, is your property even in Hampton Roads, Virginia? Because I only fund fix and flips in Hampton Roads, Virginia. Like I've been pitched everything, including an elephant farm in Texas. So, you know, you have to be very clear about what you're willing to lend on and under what terms, because they will sell you everything. So that's what I would say. It really doesn't take as much cash to start out as you think. And then you can expand capital, um, you know, maybe brokering, you know, extra funds for, you know, people, friends and family, essentially. Um, you can also start your own business and start getting unsecured lines of credit from say a community bank or something. So if you can borrow funds at 8% and turn around and loan it out at 12, you're making that money on that yield spread as well. Yeah, I Got love it. that. So many questions. I love it. I, I, so, that's what I, that, that's exactly why I took out the does. notebook. I was like, wait a minute. Yeah. We're writing <laughs> so, stuff down. I, I, I personally geek out on finance, taxes, and things like that. So this is something I've been looking into for a while. I've, I've used private money. I've used hard money. I've used promissory notes. I mean, you name it all. But uh, I typically try to say that there's only two things that really matter in any type of deal. It's price and terms. And terms can be the whole gambit as far as, like you mentioned, interest rate, period of payment, so forth and so on. Now, you mentioned... 
Um, those terms can be pretty much anything. And you can start to scale your business model with, you know, unsecured lines of credit, do that, all that good stuff. What would it look like for the average individual to actually start a business with, I mean, because understanding there might be SEC compliances, Security and Exchange Commission compliances and things of that nature. What would that look like for the average individual to start funding their own private lending company? As with anything, you know, especially in real estate, it's going to say it depends. Yeah. So it's going to depend on the state you're in because different states are going to have different lending laws. So for example, in the state of Virginia, um, they want anyone who's going to originate more than four loans a year to actually be a licensed broker, licensed real estate or a licensed mortgage broker, even though I'm lending out my own funds. Uh, other states, if lending from an LLC to another LLC, business to business, they kind of consider that a commercial loan. Uh, they don't care. But if you're an individual lending to another individual, then they want you to be licensed. So I would say first thing is to reach out to an attorney, preferably a real estate attorney that's familiar with lending because not a lot of real estate attorneys are very familiar with lending. That's just generally not the side. If you think about a lot of closing attorneys, especially all the mortgage documents, the promissory note, all that is sent by the lender. They very rarely have to prepare it or even read through it. So I would definitely advocate reaching out to a real estate attorney that is familiar with lending for the state you plan on lending in. And that might not necessarily be the state you live in. So you might need to check both places. Phenomenal. Hey, so so now let's get into your story because I think as you tell your story, right? And especially like your first, the first time you lent and the first, um, like what that process looked like, maybe some of the pains that you went through. I think that's gonna really, um, help everyone understand what this really looks like and, and kind of to Mike's point, like how, how does this work? How do you even go about starting to create the business piece? So um, what did your first deal look like? And, and like, where'd you get, where'd you get that person from, uh, person from? Was it just you before you created the company? Like, what, can we get into that a little bit? Sure. Uh, off and on, I had done it just kind of as an individual, you know, I had friends that were real estate investors and they're like, Hey, I need some extra cash. And so it was never really anything formal. Um, it was actually the, you know, the perfect storm of COVID, if you want to say. So, you know, the hard money lenders, usually about March, mid-March, end of March, they just shut their doors on a lot of investors they, and with little to no forewarning, if they got any forewarning at all. Um, and I actually, as another active duty service member that I'm friends with here, just, you know, happened to meet at a, you know, local RIA in the area. And he was saying that he was going to be missing out on this deal because he was supposed to close the end of March. He was going to be getting a hard money loan and then found out the hard money loan, you know, boof, gone. Um, so I was like, well, tell me a little bit about the deal, you know, and he's telling me, you know, this, that, and the other. And I was like, you know, I was like, this is exactly the type of deal I would want to lend on. This is exactly the type of borrower I'd want, um, you know, that like we could make this work. And I, so I had him send me over some numbers and I was like, yeah, I think we can do this. Like if you can give me like a couple weeks to get everything kind of situated and get all the funds where they need to be and get the, the license, the LLC set up, He's like, yeah, he goes, I'll see if the seller, you know, will go with that. And so it actually ended up working out to his benefit because the seller ended up doing a subject two for the first mortgage for four months. And then we actually ended up coming in with gap funding and we ended up closing a little sooner than I originally anticipated, um, but contacted a real estate attorney here in Virginia. She set up, I paid her to set up the LLC and documentation, you know, get an EIN number in place, go ahead and set up a bank account. And then go ahead and you know fund that bank account with our kind of our seed money, if you want to want to say our starting off capital, 
and then you're kind of off to the races. And I will tell you the scariest moment I ever had as a private lender. You don't think of scary moments, but this one scares the crap out of you. So you call the bank and you got to wire your funds, you know, and they, they go through this whole spiel, you know, did you verify it? Did you get a third party verification? Like, yes, I did all these things. I had them read me the numbers. I was good. Like, I know the person I'm sending the money to. It's an attorney, da, 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 da. By the time you get off this 20 minute phone conversation with the bank, you're pretty sure you just sent your life savings to a Nigerian prince. Like <laughs> I nearly threw up as soon as I got off the phone. I'm like, oh my God, what did I just do? What did I just do? What did I just do? But then after, you know, like, okay, okay. I know this person. I can drive by the house. Like I've been in the house, you know, like I, I, I have faith it will all work out, but man, is that, that's still a hard conversation. That's still a, a hard phone call to make even all this time later, you know, funding, actually sending the funds from your bank account to a closing attorney. You're just like, what did I just do? <laughs> so so you started your business. You it seems, sounds like you kind of got a business loan. I'm sure maybe you had some additional cap or your own capital in as well. And then you, that person came to you saying, Hey, I'm doing a fix and flip in the Hamptons road area. You're saying, Hey, we, we might be able to make that work. And then you fund him the money that you essentially got from, uh, as a, as a business loan, correct? Uh, it sort of start happened almost in reverse. So oh, yeah. I had a, I had a borrower come to me. I wasn't a lender at the time, and just happened through networking and you know making relationships with other people with somebody I knew in my community. And then I was just like, hey, wait a minute, we could. I was starting to add the pieces together, and I was like, I think we could do this if you can give me two weeks to get all the paperwork in place. Like we could make this happen, and it, it ended up working out better than if he had closed with hard money. So it kind of was a a perfect storm of sorts. You know, that, that is a perfect example of where luck is just where uh, preparation meets opportunity, right? You prepared yourself with all this experience and this knowledge and yourself, you know, development, and all of a sudden the opportunity presented itself. And now you're so-called lucky because you were able to get a home run. I love that. I love that. Now, what, just out of curiosity, this individual came to you. You already knew him a little bit. The mm -hmm. numbers started to look good to you. So you considered, hey, maybe I should deep, deep dive into this. When you're looking at lending, for any type of deal or project, what are some of the things that you are doing to hedge your risk? Is there certain questions you're asking? Is there certain numbers you're looking for? Uh, statements in the contract? Like, what are you doing to kind of reduce your risk, your liability? So I would say unofficially, first off, I'm going to stalk your Facebook page. Nice. So any anytime you make contact with a private lender, I, even if you go and create what I consider like a professional profile and, you know, keep your personal profile, like you're not necessarily, you know, lying about who you are, but your professional people in real estate don't need to see you out having drinks at your local brewery with your buddies every Friday night. We just, we just don't. Um, you know, if I, if I come across a Facebook profile where they're flashing a bunch of cash in front of an Italian sports car, they rented for the day, like that's not my borrower, you know, like if that, that person's just, rich. What do you mean? That person yeah, is like, definitely rich. Clearly, right? <laughs> like obviously they don't know how to spend money well, because this is what they're doing with their spare time. And they're documenting right. to the entire world as their public profile pictures, them with a bunch of cash in front of an a rented Italian sports car. So I'm going to check their Facebook profile. So I'm going to look for things because again, people invest with other people that they know, like, and trust. So I'm going to look at your profile for things that I know, like, and trust. I don't trust people flashing cash in front of Italian sports cars. It's just, it's a thing. So not necessarily trying to make a judgment call on someone. I'm just saying like, if that's the way you're projecting yourself, your professional persona out to the world is look out, look how flashy, look how much money I have, then 
that's probably not going to be my borrower because my borrowers are people I can go over to their house on the weekends when it's not COVID and go have a barbecue and sit down and we can talk deals and I can be happy about their successes, even if I'm not lending on a, lending on a project to them. They can be happy about my successes, even if it's not a project I lent on. You know, it's just, it's one of those things where I want to have a friendship or relationship, that collaborative effort. And we ended up working on some of my borrowers, I ended up working on other real estate projects with them, not remotely related to private lending, but it's just, we build that rapport with people. And one of them now, he pretty much just texts me an address and I just say, when do you need it? And I'm like, here you go. How much do you need? Because we've had so many successful deals in the past that it's like, I don't need to, I don't need the scope of work. I don't need the, you know, let's see your latest asset statements. I have that history and that rapport with that person where I know he's not going anywhere. He's not going to take 50 grand and, and run off to Vegas. And that's all we talk about. I mean, relationships are, are key. Networking is key. I mean, you you literally just outlined everything that um, that we've been pushing for a while as far as networking, building those relationships, right? Um, and and showing the importance of that. Just like you said, you want to you want to work with someone that you know, like, and trust. And that's not just in the real estate realm. That's in business and really in life in general, right? I mean, the people that we hang out with are people that we know, like, and trust, right? So um, I, I think that's imperative to to uh, for anyone out there listening, trying to get into real estate, um, that that's one thing that you definitely want to do network. And I think, I think just like Alex, Alex is saying, I mean, regular people just want to go barbecue. And basically you're investing with your friends at the end of the day, because you're each happy for each other's successes. You're each happy for what you're doing in life. I mean, uh, you know, I, I, I like that. I love that. That's awesome. And I, I will say uh, you, you hit something right on the head here, but there's too many times, especially soldiers of uh, service members, they come in young and they want to show off and be flashy. And they think, they think they can have a personal Facebook page and a professional Facebook page. <laughs> that is the biggest lie and misconception out there. Your, your, your life is a business and your business is personal. People are going to find you. And so just like you said, you know, you think you're getting away drinking or doing whatever it is that you're doing, people can see eyes are everywhere, especially in today's, you know, day and age. It's it's ridiculous. So for all those uh, uh, servicemen and women out there that think you guys are getting away with it, buying those brand new chargers and throwing <laughs> throw your first little BAH check on your passenger seat, look, people are watching, all right? And I would say on top of that, since you bring up a good point, please make a professional email address. I do not want to get deals from one hot cookie at AOL.com. So first time I, I got, I had a borrower, a potential borrower, send me a whole like deal pack and all kinds of things. I was like, AOL still even a thing? Like that just indicates to me they weren't, they couldn't take the 30 seconds to even create a Gmail address that wasn't sexually provocative right. like, I'm like, so obviously i mean how you do anything is how you do everything so if you couldn't take 30 seconds to present a professional image as far as just just creating your email address you know even if it's a gmail address just something that wasn't one hot cookie at aol.com you know it's just like wow this is not my borrower and it sounds like it sounds like i'm making like stupid little qualifications but it really starts with the borrower because I don't care how great the deal is. I don't care if you're buying it for 20 cents on the dollar and it's turnkey ready. If you can't make appropriate, smart, timely decisions, you're going to run that deal into the ground. 
All right, let's take a quick break. I hope you're enjoying this awesome episode. If this episode has got you pumped up and you're looking for more ways to learn, network, and take action, make sure you go over to www.militarycashflow.com where we're doing our absolute best to provide our military community with tons of value. Here's just a few things you'll find when you go to militarycashflow.com. You'll find our books. You'll find the Military Cashflow Facebook group where we have thousands of new and experienced military investors networking and asking and answering questions. You'll find our military cash flow real estate investing course that teaches you everything you need to know to buy a cash flowing producing asset. We teach you how to find the deal, how to analyze, how to renovate, how to build your team and maintain that property. You'll find our one-on-one coaching programs. And when you're ready to start taking action and invest, or you're looking just to PCS, we'll even vet and find an investor and military-friendly realtor in your area at zero cost to you. So make sure you head over to www.militarycashflow.com to get access to all these great tools. And lastly, and I would almost say most importantly, make sure you share this information with another military member that might find it valuable. All right, and with that said, let's get back into this episode. That's great. Hey, I got, I got a question for you. So um, I think some of some people out there listening might be thinking, all right, I can either be a private lender and lend money that way, or I can become a partner on the deal and bring the money money that way. Can you kind of speak to those differences and why you chose one over the other? Absolutely. So what I would consider being a partner in the deal, what I call is being on both sides of the equation. You're on the debt and the equity side of the equation. Uh, the Obviously, the upside of being on the equity side is you are potentially part, you know, splitting part of that profit. The downside is, is depending on how your, your partnership agreement is written, you are also beholden to some of the downside for that property. So if you get in there as an equity owner and, you know, it goes sideways, you know, the roof caves in, you, your hold time is twice as long as you thought it was going to be, um, you know, you find some random mechanics lean on there when you go to sell it, whatever it is, you know, if you're a 25% owner, you have 25% of that liability as well. Um, so that's something to take into consideration if you're thinking about doing a JV partnership or any sort of partnership going into business with someone that, yes, there's potential for the upside because I get asked that a lot. They're like, oh, if you're already lending on the deal, why don't you want to be a partner? It's like, I don't want my name on title for something I don't control. Like I invest passively because I want to go and live actively. I don't want to mm. be on the phone with contractors. Say that again, please. Say that again. That is my personal mantra on how oh. I get through life and how I make decisions. I invest passively so I can live actively. Mm. And my version of living actively does not involve tracking down contractors and talking to closing companies about why this mechanics lien is illegitimate and all these other, like, that's not part of what I want to spend my day doing. That's why I do private lending. So it's, and again, that's my personal goals. That's my personal choice. So if someone else is out there, but they want that potential upside, they want that partnership, they want to be an active investor, but also bring some of the capital, then by all means do it. That's just not the way I choose to invest. I love it. I, that, I love that. I invest passively so I can live actively. That's my next tattoo. Now, uh, no. <laughs> that's happy to be but, inspiration. <laughs> yeah. but, and, and just like you said, it's, it, I mean, that's your personal mantra, right? That's how you live. And I love that, uh, you know, understanding exactly what you want out of life and how to invest. So many people ask that same question, debt versus equity. Some people don't really understand 
debt versus equity when it comes to ownership. But uh, just to, you know, wrapped up is essentially you either own a piece of it, good or bad, mm-hmm. or somebody owes you money, no matter what. Yep. <laughs> right? It's like one or the other. <laughs> I like it. I got a question. Uh, so what does a typical deal look like? Let's let's just give me a typical deal, what those numbers look like, how you, um, you I know you've kind of already talked a little bit about how you vet that person, look on their Facebook pages uh, and, and so on and so forth. But can you kind of give us a run through that about what's the typical length of time? I'm, I'm, you know. Sure. So what I fund exclusively are fix and flips in the Hampton Roads area. And when I say that is I want something that's in a good school district. So all three schools have to be above six out of 10 on the you know, rating scale. Uh, it has to be something, it's not really been a problem thanks to COVID and low inventory, but it has to be something that the average days on market are 45 days or below. Uh, everything we funded last year you know, hit the market and usually had offers above asking within 48 hours uh, just because inventory is so low in my local market. Uh, but we fund things that, are what I would consider maybe minor to moderate rehab. You know, we're not going to be the we're not going to be the lender for a deal that you're updating 1900s farmhouse. You know, that's just it's way too much renovation, way too much holding time. Uh, our loans are only out usually three to four months. So it's someone taking title to the property, doing paint, carpet, you know, new cabinets, new countertops, kind of really maximizing the dollar value that they're putting into the property. And they're getting it on MLS, you know, four to six weeks later. And then they're, you know, in escrow a few days after that. And then they're closing 30 to 45 days after that. So they are literally in and out of a flip in three to four months. I think that's about typical uh, flip time. So that's, that, that sounds good. Okay. And the, um, during, you mentioned during low inventories, low inventory. So obviously, you know, buyers are buying right now. So I'm not sure how long or how many, if you've been through like a soft point for uh, lenders, but what happens when, when it does, when inventory is high and it's, you know, they got more choices in lending and lending opens up a lot more. How exactly does that look for you um, as a lender? Are you like actually going out and advertising? I'm sure right now you probably don't need to advertise as much because everybody's, you know, it's a hot market right now. So what does that look like for you? The, the funny thing about being a private lender, um, and it actually started, the whole reason I started the Facebook group I have is we are really good. We take the private part very seriously. We are hide and seek go champions. Like I, I cannot stress this enough. Um, so generally the hard part is actually finding the lender, not so much actually, you know, getting them to fund the deal, to be honest with you. Once you find the right private lender, you know, you can just kind of recycle, 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 keep going. Um, but I mean, as far as what it takes to actually kind of build that relationship, that's going to be unique to everybody. I mean, it, it really is going to be just a matter of what is that person looking for? The best thing I can say for teaching other people, because I get asked this a lot because I teach other people about private lending. They're like, aren't you just putting yourself out of business because you're, you're teaching your competition? And I'm like, to me, that's not an abundance mindset. I want to walk into life with an abundance mindset because Basically, they aren't competition to me. If anything, they're competition for the big banks and the hedge funds that actually fund these hard money loan companies. So if I can come in and basically I'm teaching people to take dollars from Wall Street and bring it back to Main Street. And a lot of the people I talk to are veterans and active duty service members and their families. Basically, I'm teaching other military families 
how to be more financially independent. And then oftentimes, like one of the criteria for my borrowers is during the course of their flip, they have to hire one veteran, one active duty or one military spouse. You know, and granted here in Hampton Roads, if you throw a rock, you're gonna hit five people affiliated with the military, but it just goes as a way for me to help better my military community and my friends that I'm helping maybe employ a spouse as a stager. You know, I'm helping employ a veteran business as, you know, maybe they run an HVAC company or a plumbing company. So it's just my little part of giving back. So I would rather be part of a solution to a problem than view it as I'm training my competition because I'm really not. I mean, in, in all reality, I personally think it's far easier and oftentimes a lot cheaper to work with private money than it is to work with hard money. So even if I walk into the room and say, you know, I'm a private lender and 12 other people hold their hand up and go, yay, me too, join the club. There's still going to be plenty of opportunities out there for us to lend. Love it. There's always, always opportunity. And people that say that, you know, there's a lack of, like you said, they don't have the abundance mindset, they have scarcity mindset. Mm -hmm. Those are typically the ones that get overstressed. Those mm -hmm. are typically the ones that don't succeed or last in the business and things of that nature. When you come from that approach of, hey, let's help as many people eat as possible. You soon see that there's plenty of food at the table. Everybody Absolutely. can be successful. I love that. Yeah, man. The, um, I, I, I I like everything you're, you're doing right now. Did, do you have a course? Or you, I know you said you, you're teaching other people how to be lenders as well. Now, is that like a through a course or is that through your Facebook group that you mentioned as well? I, so it's right now, it's exclusively through the Facebook group. So we have weekly educational opportunities. People can come in and learn anything from the infinite banking system. Like we're having you know conversations about how to build a website to actually attract investors to you. Um, we've had, you know, passive investors come and talk about how they analyze LP syndication deals, basically anything that relates to private lending and passive investing. We're giving a voice to those people and a knowledge base to those people to say, it's okay. Like I'm an investor the same way an active investor is an investor. We're just on different sides of the table. There's different, you know, a lot, it's very collaborative, but it's obviously very different things that we are going to be worried about. Um, like you mentioned risk mitigation earlier you know, our risk mitigation tactics are going to be different than an active investor's risk mitigation tactics. You know, sometimes they're complementary, sometimes they're not. Uh, but just having a forum for people to come together and say, hey, you know, I, I have this opportunity. I don't know how to vet the borrower. I don't know how to vet the deal. I don't know how to vet the after repair value or the scope of work. And they have a forum to come and ask that. So we do monthly virtual networking events. So we can get a group of actual private lenders or people that are interested in private lending kind of in the quote unquote same room. So we can get them to, you know, just meet and introduce each other. Cause like I said, we take the private thing very seriously. So that's an opportunity to meet people kind of one-on-one -on -one or, you know, 12 on one and, you know, share contact information or you know, hop on the phone. Hey, you know, I have a borrower that's in your market. They're not in my market, but they seem pretty solid. Would you like to talk to them? So we can kind of build our own referral network from private lender to private lender. Again, adding to that abundance mindset of, I don't have the capital to fund this deal, but I think it's a solid deal. Maybe I can call someone else up and say, hey, I think I got a solid deal. Would you like some information I can connect you to? All right, let's take a quick break. I hope you're enjoying this awesome episode. If this episode has got you pumped up and you're looking for more ways to learn, network, and take action, make sure you go over to www.militarycashflow.com where we're doing our absolute best to provide our military community with tons of value. Here's just a few things you'll find when you go to militarycashflow.com. You'll find our books, 
you'll find the Military Cash Flow Facebook group where we have thousands of new and experienced military investors networking and asking and answering questions. You'll find our Military Cash Flow real estate investing course that teaches you everything you need to know to buy a cash flowing producing asset. We teach you how to find the deal, how to analyze, how to renovate, how to build your team and maintain that property. You'll find our one-on-one -on -one coaching programs. And when you're ready to start taking action and invest, or you're looking just to PCS, we'll even vet and find an investor and military friendly realtor in your area at zero cost to you. So make sure you head over to www.militarycashflow.com to get access to all these great tools. And lastly, and I would almost say most importantly, make sure you share this information with another military member that might find it valuable. All right. And with that said, let's get back into this episode. So I got a question for you. So I know it's state specific. I got that for us for understanding what the legal requirements are or restrictions are for you to start privately lending. Are there any national SEC regulations that say, hey, you can only lend up to this much or anything like that, that we have to be aware of or people have to be aware of starting out? Not that I'm aware of when you're lending your own funds. Um, it's, it's your funds. It's what you want to do with them. Um, it's when you start taking on other people's funds to then deploy in yeah. a, an official manner. If you're out there raising capital, raising funds, that's when you, you start getting into potentially the weeds with like the SEC you know, if you decide to create a 506C, you know, mm -hmm. syndication for just for private lending, you know, you want to basically create a debt pool. Um, obviously, that's going to be in something that involves the SEC because you're out there actively recruiting and looking for accredited investors. Um, so when you start, I think it's more in the realm of when you start getting into the pooling of funds or using other people's funds that you're going to start running into more of the regulatory bodies versus just doing it yourself. And when I initially did my research, uh, well, and I saw your bio as well. That's initially what I thought. I thought that you were pulling together money from other veterans, right? And then you guys collectively were deploying that money into other people's um, um, other people's projects, right? So I thought that was ve that's very very interesting that you're pretty much you know you're doing that through by, pretty much by yourself. You're not doing it with with a whole entire group. So that's. Uh, was there anything specific? Was there any reason specifically why you chose to do go that route versus pulling together with a bunch of other people and, you know, deploying their, their money that way? It's going to sound funny, but it, it falls right back to, I wanted to remain passive. There is a very large responsibility you have when you take on other people's capital. I mean, if you're talking about investing with other people's self-directed IRA money or EQRP, you know, whatever it is, that's their future. You know, that's their past hard earned work that they've spent time away from their families. Like to me, that's an, a massive responsibility. And again, I'm not doing this to work myself into another, I'm not trying to be out there and build this giant empire and have 2000 doors to my name. Like that's, that's not my goal personally. You know, I want to have my time to be free to do what I want to do, whatever it is that I choose. So could I 100% do that? Yes. I've been offered funds to, you know, can you help place funds? Can you broker these? You know, I don't have time to do the due diligence. I don't want to build a network of borrowers. I don't want to do this and that's fine. But I've turned down those opportunities because to me, 
that's just a, it's a massive responsibility right now. And I don't want to sound foolish, but right now I don't want that level of responsibility in my life. (laughs) My spouse is about to be stationed overseas. I'm not going, I'm about to run an entire household, you know, five dogs, two businesses, you know, I'm investing, I'm working as a fund manager for multifamily purchases. Like my world's about to get very busy and my help at home is about to be halved. So the last thing I want to do is add more things to my, to my checklist. Like these are all the things I got to take care of. So I'm of the mindset, um, you know, Sean Covey, I think is the author, the four disciplines of execution. I'm much more of the mindset where I would rather do a few things really well that I enjoy than try to do 20% of 50 different things that maybe I sort of enjoy. You, you mentioned a lot about uh, being that military spouse, running that household, your, you know, your spouse deploying and all these other things. One thing we never really touched on exactly is how much time does this actually take you? Maybe from the beginning, how many hours does it take in the beginning? And then how many, you know, how long does it take you to actually manage it throughout the process of that three to four months that your money is deployed? Oh, uh, so shockingly little. It's, it's quite funny. I, I kind of quote that famous, like uh, that cooking commercial, set it and forget it, where the whole crowd yells, set it and forget it. That's what I, every time somebody asks me that, that's exactly what plays in my head. So it's something that's very front end heavy as far as, you know, finding a borrower that tends to not be too much, um, but, you know, vetting out that borrower, vetting out that property, and then basically once the funds are deployed, you know, you've sent your life savings to a Nigerian prince, you're kind of done. You know, you, I set an expectation for communication with the borrower, you know, before the promissory notes even signed that while the property is under renovations, you know, I get at least weekly updates, you know, Hey, the bathroom's coming in or kitchen cabinets are ordered, you know, here's some photos from the contractor, whatever it is. Uh, But after that, you know, it's pretty much like, Hey, just keep me in the loop. You know, when it goes on MLS, keep me in the loop. When we get a contract signed, let me know when closing is after that contract signed. Um, so it pretty much is very set it and forget it. And that's kind of how the group evolved because during COVID, I'm an extrovert stuck inside. And I'm like, let's go find some other private lenders. And that's when I couldn't find any private lenders. So I was like, all right, as a military spouse, I don't have time to kind of keep looking for a tribe. You know, I'm, I'm only going to be here for X amount of months, you know, whatever it happens to be. So if I can't find a tribe, then I'm going to build a tribe. So I started the group and then like a week later I had a hundred people and I was like, oh crap, you know? And now six months later, there's almost 2000 people. And now I'm like, oh crap, now I really got to do something. So it just kind of blossomed into this thing where people have met business partners. uh, People have met private lenders. People have learned how to do private lending. I've talked to so many military spouses where this is giving them a way to invest in real estate, no matter where they live. As long as they have an internet connection, and a cell phone, you know, being able to talk to people, it doesn't matter where their spouse gets stationed. They can go and they can continue to build a business for themselves and bring bring in income to the household. That's phenomenal. That was going to be my next question, but you pretty much answered it right now. And I know it can be, this can be done pretty much anywhere, but for you specifically, because you're only uh, focused in one area, uh, what, what does that look for, what, like for you when your spouse does PCS? Um, are you going to still only focus in Hampton Roads? Or are you going to kind of maybe think about looking at other places that you might be if, if you know, your spouse doesn't retire at that point? Uh, I could say, I would honestly say it could go either way. I choose Hampton Roads because I live here. It's my backyard. Again, going back to that collaborative, I like being part of a team. Um, so my borrowers are generally going to be here, at least for the interim, because a lot of them are active duty uh, service members themselves. 
So, you know, I, I know them, I can go over to the houses, I can drive by something, I can say, oh, look, I lent on that, or I lent on that, or currently I got a loan out on that one. Um, and it's just, it's kind of something I, th- I feel like a lot of spouses need, they need to be able to visually look at something and go, look, I've built this, I was part of this. Because a lot of times, you know, my normal W-2 job is I'm a chemistry professor, and I'm fortunate enough, I get to teach online. But, you know, before that, you know, you're scrambling to find some little part-time job, you know, wherever you get stationed, just so you have something to do, because I don't have kids and I can only stare at the wall for so long. So it's like, okay, you know, I, I can find something to do in a job. And then you, you're sitting across the desk from someone trying to convince them to hire you and why you're a good hire and why you're, you're the employee they want, even if you're only going to be there a short period of time. Like after 20 years of doing that, like, I'm just like, I will never do that again. That was, that was another part of private lending is it was very empowering to go, you know what, I'm, I'm never going to have to convince anybody else to work with me. You know, I'm going to be part of a team. I'm going to be able to bring in income to the household and I'm never going to have to go to an interview and say, you know what, I I know I'm only going to be here for 12 months, but I'm going to be a rock star for you for 12 months, you know, whatever it happens to be. Um, So I really, really like that aspect of it, especially for military spouses, that that private lending offers all of those things in so many different avenues of my life. That, that's one thing I was going to put. That right there is so empowering for military spouses. Um, you know, for, for some of the spouses that we interviewed, not too many, but obviously uh, by talking to people who are looking for that financial uh, uh, role, right? That other role besides just being the housekeeper or the caretaker, how else can I contribute? One of the biggest issues is every time we move, I have to reapply or my mm-hmm. skill sets don't transfer, right? Mm-hmm. So we looked at, yes, being a realtor potentially because you can do referrals, you know, anywhere, even though your license in one state, you can live in another one, still do referrals. But right there, private lending, you can literally operate this from anywhere as long as you have internet connection and a cell phone, like you said. And yep. now you're still a contributing member to the, to the, to the relationship. And that, the nice thing is, if you, if you don't necessarily want or need to scale up to be some huge thing, realistically three, four, five borrowers, if they're active, busy borrowers, you can just re- keep recycling from deal to deal to deal. A lot of times, once they know they have a deal closing, they pretty much call dibs on the next one because they have another deal in the pipeline. So it even gets even less time intensive to go back to your question. Like it becomes less time intensive over time because you've already vetted the borrower. You know, Now it's just, okay, give me the details on this specific property and you know, how do we need to structure this to make everybody happy? So it actually becomes less time, less time intensive over time because you have the same borrowers over and over and over again. And hopefully it's a good thing. Random, random, random question. How does chemistry relate to private lending? Oh, it's absolutely one in the same, one in the same. I get this a lot. So my background is actually in pharmacology. So the creation of drugs. Um, And basically what you're doing is you have a starting molecule and you have a rough idea of what you need your ending molecule to look like. And then your knowledge in in chemistry, you know, techniques, lab, you know, equipment, whatever you have, you need to figure out how to get from point A to point B. And that's literally all real estate is. You have a fix and flip, you need to purchase it at this price. You know, you know, you need to get a contractor, a roofer, you know, HVAC, all these different components, pieces and components in the right order, hopefully, so they're not stepping all over each other and undoing each other's work, you know, in the right timeline for the right amount of price to get to the end result of this finished product. So the process is literally the exact same. It's just an analytical problem solving, putting all the pieces together with the information I have at the time to make the best decision on how to move forward with, whether it's the raw materials I have to start with, the time I have, the equipment I have, same exact thing. 
I love that. We're going to make sure that we capture that chemistry is like real estate. Our real it's, estate is just like chemistry. It's One of those. Exactly. Right? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Excellent. You have dropped so much knowledge and we are creeping up on time here, but I got so many more questions. <laughs> we can go into a bonus <laughs> round. <laughs> we might have to go into a bonus round for sure. But I definitely have a two part question for you. I want if, uh, so twofold. First part, if somebody is looking to get into private lending and they're brand new, what would be one piece of advice that you would give them? I would say get crystal clear on two things. One, the type of property that you want to lend on. And two, how long you want your funds tied up. Because you could literally do a loan anywhere from three months to three years or even 30 years. So I would say those two parameters being very clear on what you're willing to lend on where you're willing to lend on it would be helpful as well. And for how long you're willing to have those funds tied up. Once you kind of have those little pieces all figured out, it helps to really narrow down all those opportunities you're going to get bombarded with. As soon as you start making mention, you have funds that need a home. Okay. And then part two to that is, again, for military spouses out there that really want to feel like they want to contribute more and they're just looking for opportunities. One piece of advice yeah. Financially. Yeah. Financially. Financially. Yes. Financially. Yeah. <laughs> what would be one piece of advice that you would give them? Uh, I would say start networking and talking with other investors. So for example, if you don't know anything about real estate, you don't, and you you're like, okay, I want to do this private lending thing, but I've never done a fix and flip. I don't know anything about scope of work. I don't know anything about contractors. Then start talking to those people, start talking to fix and flip investors, figure out what metrics are important in a fix and flip deal. Start getting a good idea. How much does a roof cost? How much does it cost to update the HVAC? So you're basically going to pretend that you're becoming a fix and flip investor because ultimately you want to lend on being a fix and flip investor. So I would say learn the type of investing that you want to lend on. So if you want to lend on, you know, buy and hold, then start learning about, you know, conventional lending standards and what it takes to get refinanced out because that's where you're getting paid off as a private lender. So, you know, make start working backwards from, you know, what are the conventional lending standards? What are seasoning requirements? You know, all these various things and start working backwards to figure out what you need to know as the active investor. And then when you actually look at a deal, you'll be able to go, yeah, this makes sense. These are good numbers versus, eh, this is a little sketchy. This one's on the line. This is a really thin deal. Yeah, that's perfect. So um, again, yeah, just like Mike said, you, you've been just dropping knowledge uh, bombs after bombs after bombs, right? Um, how can our listeners find out more about you um, if they want to, if they want to get in touch with you. Absolutely. So my group is called private lending lessons, very aptly named. Um, so if they can go to Facebook and look for private lending lessons, I'm in that all the time, posting daily, answering questions. I'm also on LinkedIn. Uh, so Alex Brashears and my link, since you guys liked my link so much, my link, uh, URL is actually investing passively to live actively. So you guys, nice. I'm sure you'll see that in the show notes, uh, but that I'm on LinkedIn as well. So you can send me a message on LinkedIn. You can send me a message on Facebook. Um, I really enjoy talking to people because like I mentioned, I'm, I'm stuck inside during COVID. So if anybody has any questions, they just, they don't know where to begin. They don't know what to look for. They don't know where to start. Um, 
you know, it's always, you know, somebody's cousin's third brother removed, thinks they want to get involved in real estate and they need some money. It's like, whoa, whoa, let's pump the brakes here. Let's, let's get you in a good secured spot and a good understanding before you start coughing over thousands and tens of thousands of dollars to this person. Yeah. Love it. Jeez. Well, um, Alex, thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, everybody out there, make sure you're, uh, log into, log into Facebook and join the group, uh, that that'll be in the show notes as well. So, um, all her contact information will be down in the show notes So make sure you uh, check that out. Let's get in contact. If you want to learn how to be on the other side of the, the table so that you can, learn to i don't want to butcher the <laughs> it's, a, it's a learn to live at or live actively or invest passively so you can live actively I want there to you go that's all right yeah so um all the information will be down there in the show notes so uh make sure you check that out uh, make sure you hit the like button, hit the subscribe button. If you're listening to this on YouTube or if you're listening to this on podcast, make sure you leave us a five star or leave us an honest review. Really appreciate that. And then uh, we have our Facebook group as well, Military Cash Flow. Alex is on there. And I know she's, uh, once this episode goes out, if you got any questions, feel free to ask on our group channel or you can go to Alex's group, of course, and she'll answer those questions as well. Um, with that said, this is Dan Wynn and Mike Glassby signing off.